I believe. How many of you have at one time or another heard the NPR series by that title? Yeah. So this is uh, this I believe Hope Gateway style, and so we're going to be inviting several Hope Gateway members <laughs> to share a little bit about kind of the kernel of their faith. If they had to kind of con consolidate their faith into a concise statement, something that's really foundational, that gives them guidance and direction for their life, what would it be? And I encourage you to think about that question as well. You'll see there are two prayer stations. This one over here is a reading station that Laura set up. There's some ribbons and pieces of fabric and an invitation to write a few words about your beliefs that guide, give you daily, guide your daily life on a place of, of fabric and then weave it into the, the loom over here. And then over here on the mirrors with um, dry erase markers, we just invite you to write something about your belief that guides you in your daily life. So you're welcome to visit either of those prayer stations at any point when you would like to. So Randy, we're glad that you're going to share today. Do you want a music stand or anything? Um, maybe that'd be helpful. Okay. Thanks. Do I have the microphone on correctly? Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Excellent. Oops. Nope. <laughs> Hold it like a book. Yeah. Hold on once. It just makes you look like you're Andy. That's right. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. All right. So when Pastor Sarah and I were speaking about this opportunity, just like uh, Pastor Alan was saying, talk about something that is like a deep core principle in your life and talk about how it plays out in your life. And I knew almost instantly the topic I wanted to speak about because it really is so embedded in my life. And so I want to talk about mercy and gold digging. <laughs> so Pastor Sarah mentioned um, a game in childhood. That was actually my first exposure to mercy, right? And she wasn't going to go there, but I'm going to go there. <laughs> so those of you who haven't played this game, need to understand how it works. Two kids come together, and they interlock their fingers together. And instantly, they launch into an epic battle where they're squeezing and twisting and mashing and trying to cause as much intense pain as they can in the other child. And the goal is to use your superior strength and power to so subjugate them, they realize and admit your strength is better, that they are weaker, and they cry out for mercy and then you relent from doing violence to them. <laughs> and that's mercy, is when you stop being violent to them. That was my first exposure to mercy. And sadly enough, it wasn't the first time that I heard that message. Now thankfully, this church doesn't take the approach that I grew up with, but still in a lot of churches and in a lot of theology, mercy is sprinkled everywhere like Parmesan on pizza at my house, in the words... But in the reality, it looks a lot like that game. And the idea is that God is big and awesome and perfect and terrifying. And he can't abide any imperfection in his presence. And it's so odious to him that if you are imperfect, he's going to burn you forever. Unless you get so convinced of your complete unworth that then he'll relent of his violence against you and he'll let you in anyway. Right? And that's mercy. God is merciful because he relented from doing the violence he threatened against you. Well, I would say that's not an accurate picture of the gospel. But it's the, the model that a lot of us grew up under. And is it any wonder then 
that we find it difficult to be vulnerable to God. Because God says, come to me and I love you. And we're like, Eesh, I'm imperfect. I'm, I'm, I'm scared to approach you. Because like, one false move and it's done. It's over. Like, what if I tick you off? Right? What if, what if you change your mind? And that's what we feel like mercy is like so often. At least that's how it was for me. And sadly, it wasn't just there. This was like perpetuated in my thinking because I was taught that that's the way that we deal with other people. That our job is to point out the flaws and the weaknesses and the imperfections until people are so convinced of their sinfulness and their unworth and they recognize that God is such a better person than them that I need to repent and I need to get saved and, and then they will come to salvation. And so I was raised feeling like I needed to make sure to let everybody else know the ways they weren't measuring up. And that was an expression of God's mercy to them. Well, obviously we have a lot of that going on in our culture and that doesn't seem to be working, right? You know, the official definition of mercy is like to be compassionate or lenient to someone in your power or to show kindness to someone maybe who doesn't deserve it. I like to say it this way, that mercy is choosing to be kind or to hold back when you have the right and the power to do otherwise. Right? Very different from this message that I had heard when I was growing up. You know, when I was in Bible college and going to church and everything, I even heard pastors and professors bemoaning the fact that, oh, in our culture now, we just don't have this strong sense of sinfulness and guilt. So people are having a hard time coming to salvation because they don't know how bad they are. And we really need to find ways for them to help understand their, their flaws. And that was like a real conversation. And yet, as I've gotten older, I think people are all too aware of our flaws. We all know that we don't measure up. We all know that we have short tempers and long grudges. We all know that we're forgetful and we're thoughtless and we're unkind. And I would say that many of the things that we do in our lives are an attempt to make up for those things, to cover up those things, to deny that they exist, all because we are so afraid of being vulnerable and letting those things be seen. It's not that we don't know them, it's that we're so painfully aware of them. What we're really looking for is for someone to come to us and say, I know you fully, and you're okay. You're enough. You're loved as you are. And you know what? You are. You are okay. You are loved. You are enough. To God. You are. I was really struggling with this a few years ago because I was married and I was in the process of coming out to family and friends as gay. So I had all the pressure of my theology. Where do I fit in with God with all of this? Plus, I'm a bad man. I got married and I've got kids and now I'm disrupting their lives. And, you know, it's like all this stuff. And on top of that, I got people all around me who aren't going to understand what's going on. I needed some mercy and I felt vulnerable and raw with God 
and fearful about what was going to happen with people. And a verse, right now I'm going to kind of give it out of context, there's a lot more to it, but there's a verse in the book of Hosea, a prophecy, that just leapt out to me at the time. It's Hosea 6.6. And in that verse, it says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I want you to know God and not just offer burnt offerings. Now, it's in, written in a Hebrew poetic form. And in Hebrew, almost everything rhymes, so a rhyming poem would not be a great achievement. <laughs> so one of the ways that they would show their skill in writing poetry is they would use parallelism. So they would make two statements that were similar, but there would be something unique about the second statement that would be a twist that would make you stop and think and realize a truth. Okay? So this verse is a perfect example of that. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I want you to know God and not offer burnt offerings. Well, we can see sacrifices and burnt offerings are the same thing. So there's a comparison going on here between mercy and knowing God. So I would say it this way. If you really know true mercy, then you'll see God in that. Or if you flip that around, the better you know God, the more you'll understand true mercy. There's a powerful truth in that. And he says, I want you to know mercy. I want you to know God and not just do like the religious thing. Literally, as I was praying or reading through that scripture, a man came to me and he said, God wants you to know that mercy given is mercy received. He ended up saying it three times in the conversation. He said, I just have to keep coming back to you and saying this. You need to write this down. This is like a, a theme for your life right now. Mercy given is mercy received. And of course, I was weeping because I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm just reading this. That God's saying, I want you to know me. And I'm like, you'll know me in mercy. And this guy's saying, in this season where you need mercy, mercy given is mercy received. I was setting out on a path that I believed automatically made me the object of God's hatred. And yet I was sensing God leading me in this adventure. And I, that was confusing, right? And I knew I was also going in this path that family and friends wouldn't understand. So I needed his mercy. I needed their mercy. But I also realized they needed my mercy. They hadn't had a 40-year adventure of learning and having the internal understanding of who I was. And when I was about to tell them I was going to disrupt our family and our future and all these other things, they might need some time. They might say unkind things. They might be in shock and whatever. And I realized I needed to be prepared in advance to show mercy, just like I was hoping to receive mercy from them. So I began praying into that a lot. And a few months later, I'm still praying into it. Still wasn't convinced maybe that God was going to completely show me mercy. It was an adventure. I came across Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew chapter 12, the disciples are hungry. They're walking through the fields, and they pick some kernels of grain to eat. No big deal. They're hungry, and it was lawful to do that, except it was the Sabbath day. And the religious leaders were convinced that if they picked the grain and ate the grain, they'd broken God's law, and they were sinners. So the religious leaders are telling Jesus, aren't you going to stop them? They're sinning. They're violating this stuff. And Jesus' response is, in essence, I am the Lord over the law, over the Sabbath, 
And I choose to use my authority of enforcement to show mercy. And he quotes from Hosea 6, and he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And if you understood that, you wouldn't be condemning these people for something that isn't really a violation, right? You'd be choosing to exercise mercy when you have the power to do otherwise. And then, Matt, then the, the author of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, so Matthew, quotes Isaiah. And it's a passage that says, in essence, the God's servant is coming to bring full justice to the world. He's going to reveal all truth and he's going to set everything right. But he's not shouting and he's not starting conflict. In fact, it says, the bruised reed he's not going to break off and the smoldering wick he's not going to snuff out. And when I read that, it changed my life. Because I realized he was saying, as long as there's a spark, he doesn't give up. As long as there's a desire in you to be connected to him, he doesn't give up. He treats, treats you kindly. And he can find a way to make the whole world right, even if your faith is just a little bit of smoke from the end of the wick. He won't give up, no matter what. Changed my life. In that moment, I knew I was free. I was forever his. Even if I were 100% wrong about being gay, the worst that would happen is when I got to heaven, he'd go, you know, it was a crazy life, and things are confusing, and you did your best, and I'm proud of you for trying to be faithful to me in the midst of it. I could trust his goodness that much. That even if I was wrong, it wouldn't stop him from loving me and welcoming me. Now, much to my surprise, I thought I was receiving God's mercy that way. I come out, and I start receiving mercy from people. Most of the people in my life, even if they didn't understand or agree, they were loving to me and gracious. And I was so shocked. I wept for days. So shocked. Because I thought God had been prepping me. I'm giving you mercy, and now you're going to have to give mercy to people that are going to be rude to you, right? And instead, I was receiving mercy, receiving mercy, receiving mercy. Where the big surprise was, is that after I came out, all of a sudden, people started coming to me. Sometimes people I didn't know. And they started opening up to me about their struggles, about their fears, their sins, their anxiety. And what they were asking, even if they didn't ask in these words was, will God give up on me? Will God love me? Am I okay? Is it going to be all right? And in that moment, they were making themselves very vulnerable to me. And if I weren't careful, I could exercise scripture and all these things. No, you shouldn't be in this relationship. Or no, you shouldn't do this. Or whatever. What are you thinking? But instead, I could show mercy. Mercy given is mercy received. And what I found is, for the first time in my life, people trusted me. I was safe. I had been right before, but I wasn't safe because I didn't understand mercy. When I lived in Oregon years ago, I worked with a lady. She and her husband and their kids for about 11 years had been gold prospectors. You know, there was the gold rush years ago. You could still go out to the river and find gold. So they had lived, like, a really rough life out in the mountains, 
and they would pan for gold. So the way they would do it is they'd have these trays, and they, they, would, they knew where to recognize where gold might be. And they would go, and they'd scoop up the silt and whatever in the river, and they would sift it, and then they would sift it into another pan that had smaller holes. And then they would sift it again, and sift it again, and sift it again, filtering out all the stuff to reveal the gold, right? Why were they out there doing this? It wasn't to clean up the river of the dirt. It was to reveal the gold, right? I mention that because that's the way God is. We think that the dirt in our lives is the problem. The dirt's not the problem. God's not bothered by like pointing out this sin and that sin and whatever. It's not the dirt. He sees the gold in us. And when he washes us, it's not because he can't stand the things about us that make us human. It's that he's revealing the gold in us, the very things of value in us. That is mercy. When he could point out the dirt, he points out the gold and helps us discover it in ourselves. In the same way, we need, so we need to let him show us mercy, right? To receive the fact that we could have gold in us. To believe it. But second of all, when people are around us and vulnerable, we can choose to point out the dirt or we can be gold diggers. We can dig for the gold. We can look for the things of value in that person and encourage them in the ways that God is at work in them. And trust that as he is at work in them revealing the good, that the other stuff will all fall to the side and they'll be revealed for what they are, a loved and valuable person. Mercy given is mercy received. I want to take just a second because it would be completely foolish of me, really, if I told you that you can be vulnerable with God and yet we didn't take a moment to actually make ourselves vulnerable with God, to receive some of that love. So I want to read you one of my favorite psalms. It's really short that talks about the heart of God. That God's a gold digger too. And I want you, in this moment, maybe for the first time, maybe for the thousandth time, I want you to relax and to say, you know what? I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. What do you see in me? What do you see when you look at me? I guarantee you what he sees is probably not what you're afraid he'll see. Psalm 113 says, Praise the Lord. Yes, give praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord forever and ever. Everywhere, from east to west, praise the name of the Lord. For the Lord is high above the heavens, the nations. His glory is far greater than the heavens. So they're painting this huge picture of God, right? Great, huge, and magnificent. <clears throat> who can be compared with the Lord our God who is enthroned on high? Far below him are the earth, the heavens and the earth. It's this magnificent, unapproachable God. And yet it says, he stoops to look. And he lifts the poor from the dirt. And the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes, even among the princes of his own people. He gives the barren woman a home so that she becomes a happy mother. Praise the Lord. God, most high, stoops to pick up the penny in the dirt and put it in his treasured collection. 
You are the gold. You are the penny. Mercy given is mercy received.